You are listening to a message that was given at Living Word Chapel, Oracle, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you and enrich your life. For more information, visit lwcoracle.org. so fun to be back here. Uh, it's, it's fun to build a relationship with the church um, from a distance, and this is the, the third time I've got to speak here at Living Word Chapel, and I was here last year in February, almost exactly a year ago, and we went out to the Copper Corridor and shared there as well, which I love what you're doing out there. So it's very fun for me to be back here again with you. Um, I really deeply love your pastor, James, and his wife, Shauna. Uh, as he said, we just, we met at our, our graduation and just bonded. Our hearts just bonded. There was something there that was really special. Um, and, you know, there's gifts in God's kingdom, friendships. And we felt that brotherhood instantly. So uh, deeply enjoy that. Very much a gift to us. We laugh and have a lot of fun. Um, but I am a little concerned about him. I got to be honest with you. There's an issue I've seen in his life after being here. You may not know this. I feel like I need to call it out publicly uh, about your pastor. Um, and you need to pray for him. Uh, we were out golfing yesterday, and I looked at his golf bag, and there were cobwebs on his golf clubs. <laughs> I am not, I'm being dead serious. There were cobwebs on his golf clubs. What kind of a man leaves cobwebs on his golf clubs? That's a sign of an overworked pastor. He needs to do some golfing, right? But you know what's more annoying is he hasn't played in a year, and he beat me by one stroke yesterday. Oh, I was ticked. I was, I hate losing in golf. But he did great. I was proud of him, but I was a little annoyed too. So I hope you get some more golf in, my friend. So it's an honor to be with you. I'd like to just open in prayer, and then we'll get started this morning. Lord, I invite you here. Uh, obviously, you're here. You're present. You're present in the music. You're present in the worship, present in the prayer, and, and all the things that are happening. And I just uh, yield myself to you in the next little bit of time. Father, that you would use me as a, uh, just a vessel for what you're saying in the people's lives. It's a huge honor that you would trust me with a platform uh, for a few minutes just to encourage and speak life into people and into my own life too, Lord. Uh, Father, I thank you for the opportunity and the privilege to be here with this church. I pray your, your blessing, although we thank you and celebrate with them on, on the promissory note being paid off and just good years, that 10-year plan. I pray big blessings on the future of this church, on the work of this church up and down this, this highway here, Lord, in Arizona. The good things, meet their needs, and just keep your kingdom growing and working throughout the, the, this community of Arizona. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I lived in Phoenix for about 10 years, uh, several years ago, and uh, I one thing I'd forgotten until I came here, we got here on Friday night, and we, we arrived at the place we were staying, got out of our car, and there were not a lot of lights, you know, because we're out in the desert, right? And Man, the stars are unbelievable out here. It was so beautiful. I was so inspired. My wife and I got out of the car. And it was like you're in one of those domes, you know, those like star domes you go into. And it's like this big rounded dome with all these lights. But it was the real thing. And I was so inspired by the beauty of the desert at night until I saw your rattlesnake warning sign. <laughs> that scared me very much. I have never been in a church where there's a rattlesnake warning, look out for snakes. Now, I've met some snakes in churches, but not actual snakes. So that really scared me. I'm out walking around last night in the desert, like, like no shoes on. I'm like, 
I was practicing my message out at night last night. I'm like, that might have been a good idea. So anyway, that's kind of fun. Um, I'd like to start this morning with uh, just a little bit of my review of my year because it leads into where I want to go with the message this morning. Um, My 2017 was very, very difficult. Our church has gone through two, uh, one, two lawsuits, one very, very difficult lawsuit. Our church was not negligent in the lawsuits. Nonetheless, some lawyers got uh, some ideas in their heads and they came after our church. It was a very, very difficult time for us last year. Our church has been in this battle, uh, but the lawsuits wrapped up this last year in 2017. Um, our church has gone through the uh, premature deaths of some people. It was really sad. Some situations of cancer where people died prematurely. Our church has gone through situations where uh, we've, we've encountered young people with suicide and just some of the really, really hard stuff of life. Uh, our church has been through the battle, in the battle. Now, the good news is God is changing people's lives. We're seeing God work and move in hearts and shift. But the battle has been very, very real for us this last year in 2017. Um, in my own life, my, my role at, at the church I work at has gotten a little bigger, so I'm, I've taken a ton of responsibility, and I'm feeling, I've felt a lot of pressure last year. Uh, so the end of, of 2017 for me in December at Christmas time, uh, my wife and I went to Iowa, where our family is, and we, we hung out in Iowa for a while. And while we were there, and I'm kind of reflecting on 2017 and what a long, difficult year it had been for us, with all the battles of 2017, uh, I ended up getting the flu. Uh, so that was awesome. I'm laying on my mom's couch. Uh, we're in Iowa. It's like negative 20 degrees. I'm not kidding. With the wind chill, it was negative 40 degrees this Christmas in Iowa, in parts of Iowa. It was insane, right? Uh, you think hell's hot. I think it might be cold because it was terrible. But, but I got the flu, and I'm laying down on my mom's couch, and I'm, I'm throwing up, you know, and you know the other stuff that comes with that, right? So I'm, I'm pretty miserable and it's interesting, when your body stops working, you, 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 you're, you can start reflecting a little bit on your life. You know, when the body doesn't work the way you want it to or need it to, uh, it's a good time to kind of reflect on some things in your life. So I'm laying there in between puking, and I'm, I'm beginning to reflect on my life a little bit, on my 2017 particularly. And uh, I began to notice some symptoms, not only physical symptoms of sickness as I was thinking about it, but symptoms in my soul that began to bother me a little bit. What do I mean? For example, I began to notice that my spiritual appetite had decreased in 2017. What do I mean by my spiritual appetite? Meaning my taste for the spiritual. You know, there was a time, there are times in my life where I just really want to go after God. I just want to just drown myself in worship and, and meditate on the scriptures and, and be present in prayer. But I noticed that had not been the case at the, by the end of 2017. We'd been through so much in 2017 as a church and, and just some personal stuff I, I think my, my spiritual appetite began to decrease. And I noticed this is a symptom of something in my life. Not only that, I noticed that my joy level was down. There was a time I'd had so much joy and excitement and passion, but I, I recognized after the kind of long year we had in 2017, um, I just didn't feel the joy that I remembered feeling, especially in my relationship and my connection with Jesus. And third, I began to reflect on my, my regular quiet time routine. You know, I'm, I try to be fairly routine. I try to set aside time regularly to connect with God. But in my quiet times, as I began to think about it, I spent a lot more time looking at cat videos on YouTube. I looked at Facebook. I looked at just random articles, news articles, a whole lot more time. So what I, would, I noticed is I started thinking about it. My Bible's sitting here, and this is my quiet time. My, my phone is here, and I'm going back and forth. 
I'm kind of half praying, half-heartedly seeking God and sort of, oh, that's interesting. Look at that cat video. Send that to a friend. Then I'm going back to the Bible. And I begin to reflect that there's some drift going on in my life. There's some very subtle, simple drift. You know, I think I had allowed through all of the pressure and all the work and some disappointments and some very hard things of 2017, I had began to just subtly, slowly, and I was still doing things. I mean, I'm not like doing crazy stuff, but I think in my heart, there are pockets in my heart where I began to experience a little bit of drift, just an inch of drift away. Disappointment, tired, frustration. And the thing about spiritual drift, when we begin to drift a little bit, is an inch of drift today can be a mile of drift tomorrow. It's subtle, it's slow, and it can happen. You know, as I was thinking about this idea of spiritual drift or a subtle drift away from a connection to Jesus and what happens and how that plays out in our life, I thought about, especially on Super Bowl Sunday, uh, athletes. It made me think about the fundamentals of an athlete. You know, good coaches really understand that athletes have to master fundamentals. If you're going to play football really, really well, you have to master the fundamentals of blocking and tackling. Whatever your position is, you have to know fundamentals really well. And good coaches call their players to master fundamentals. In fact, I found an article that made me think about this, really inspired me, because I think it relates to where I'm going with this message. I want to read this article to you. It was written by a guy named James Clear, and it's about the great coach Vince Lombardi. You remember Vince Lombardi? Yeah, Green Bay Packers, right? One of the greatest coaches of all time. I'll read you a little bit of his story. It's really interesting. By the way, how many people are pulling for the Patriots today? Oh, oh, that's two, I said three. Oh, yeah, how many are not? How many want to see the Patriots go down in flames today? That's my people right there. All right, we're praying with you, praying with you. Let's pray for those few Patriots. Sorry, that's, that's totally irrelevant. This is an article. Don't offend the audience, Eric. Don't offend the audience. Okay. I want to read you this article about, just to listen to this story. It was July of 1961. 38 members of the Green Bay Packers football team were gathered together for the first day of training camp. The previous season had ended with a heartbreaking defeat when the Packers squandered a lead late in the fourth quarter and they lost the NFL championship to the Philadelphia Eagles. Interesting. The Green Bay players had been thinking about this brutal loss for the entire offseason and now finally training camp had arrived and it was time to get to work. The players were eager to advance their game to the next level and start working on the details that would help them win a championship. Their coach, Vince Lombardi, had a different idea. In his best-selling book, When Pride Still Mattered, A Life of Vince Lombardi, author David Moranis explains what happened when Lombardi walked into the training camp in the summer of 1961. So get the picture. They've just lost. The team is ready to fix some things. But, but Coach Lombardi had a different plan. Now, this is, this is the, the book that's talking about. He took nothing for granted, speaking of Coach Lombardi. He began a tradition of starting from scratch, assuming that the players were blank plates who carried over no knowledge from the year before. He began with the most elemental statement of all. Gentlemen, he said, holding a pigskin in his right hand, this is a football. Started at the very basics. This is a football. Lombardi was coaching a group of three dozen professional athletes who just months prior had come within minutes of winning the biggest prize their sport could offer. And yet he started from the very beginning. This is a football. Lombardi's methodical coverage of the fundamentals continued throughout training camp. Each player reviewed how to block and tackle. They opened up the playbook and started from page one. At some point, Max McGee, the Packers Pro Bowl wide receiver, joked, hey, coach, can you slow down a little bit? You're, you're a little too hard on us. 
Lombardi repeatedly cracked a smile but continued his obsession with the basics all the same. His team would become the best in the league as the tasks everyone else at the tasks everyone else took for granted. Six months later, the Green Bay Packers beat the New York Giants 37-0 to win the NFL championship. Vince Lombardi is carried off the field by his players after defeating the New York Giants 37-0 win in the 1961 NFL championship. The 1961 season was the beginning of Vince Lombardi's reign as one of the greatest football coaches of all time. He would never lose in the playoffs again. In total, Lombardi won five NFL championships in a span of seven years, including three in a row. He never coached a team with a losing record. Really, really good picture of an excellent coach. But what did this coach do? What did he do? Back to the basics, baby. Back to the fundamentals. If you've heard of John Wooden, anybody heard of John Wooden? UCLA basketball coach, one of the greatest basketball. I think he had like nine to 10 winning seasons in his career. He would teach his players how to tie their shoes. He was so adamant about the fundamentals. If you're gonna perform, if you're gonna be the player that you can be, you must master the fundamentals. And I think, in my opinion, there's a connection for us as followers of Jesus. If we are going to be the person that Jesus has called us to be, if we're going to become the one whom we were built to be, the one who he planned for us to be all along, we must master some fundamentals. And when we drift from fundamentals, we cannot be who he called us to be. And that is what we're going to look at today. I think sports is a great analogy of that. What we'll look at more specifically today is the Old Testament. You know, in the Old Testament, if you read First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, you see the people of God, the Israelites, the Jews, they were in this up and down relationship with God. There were times that they were going after God, and then there were times they would go after other, their other idols. They would have a king in place who would start out really good and say, we're going to go after God, and then he would get distracted with other gods, and then all the people would follow. So there's this cycle, and you read through the Old Testament of First and Second Kings. If you've never read that, I would highly encourage you to read that. It's great stories. And you watch the pattern and the cycle of God's people. They would get conquered, and then they would raise up, and then God would be merciful. And then there would be this, okay, for a while they're faithful, and then off they go again, and uh, losing that connection with God. You see this picture of drift in God's people. Now, ultimately, the, the cycle of God's people of, 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 of turning away and coming to him and turning away got so bad, God allowed them to go into exile. If you're familiar with the story, you might remember that, that the king of Assyria came and, and conquered the northern kingdom of Israel and took, took people. And then the, the, the Babylonians came and conquered the southern kingdom. And, and, and in those days, they would, uh, a warring uh, king would come and he would grab people and he would take them out and he would, he would displace them and bring them to his country so that that nation would lose a, a sense of their identity. And that is exactly what happened. The people of God in the Old Testament for a season were taken out into exile and they were put into foreign lands where they lost their national identity. In fact, the temple in Jerusalem that was built to honor, it was the place they connected with God, was completely destroyed by the Babylonians. They came in, they destroyed the temple, they destroyed the altar, they destroyed the very foundation of the place where the people of God would meet with God because the people of God had drifted far from God. They would no longer be able to make that connection to God that they once had. But you know, it's so interesting. If you read in Jeremiah, it was known um, there was going to be mercy. God had not forgotten his people. Though they were taken into captivity, though they were now in a foreign land, there was a promise to them 
that if, if one day he would return them back to Jerusalem, though they were taken, they were not there. And this is fact. This is in Jeremiah 29, 10 through verses 10 through 14. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah is writing a letter to the people who are in exile in Babylon. And he's saying to them, this is going to end one day. One day you're going to return back to Jerusalem. In fact, I want to read this verse to you. I believe it's in your handout. If you have a pen, I'm going to ask you to circle a couple things because there's important stuff in, this, in this, these few verses. Now, this is Jeremiah writing to the people who are in exile in Babylon. He's saying this. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years. But then I will come and I will do for you all the good things I have promised. And I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and they're not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. Now in those days when you pray, I will listen. Now this one, guys, underline, circle. This is really important. If you look for me wholeheartedly or with all of your heart, you will find me. What kind of heart does it take to find God? Half heart? It's a whole heart. Has God gone missing? I having a hard time finding him. Maybe, maybe it's halfway heart seeking him. And that's exactly what happens in drift. The heart begins to drift away. And I, and I saw this in my own life. You know, you kind of, if you're in a season and you're feeling like, where's God? I'm feeling disconnected from God. A really good check is to come right back here and say, am I wholeheartedly going after God? Not half heart, not three quarter heart, but am I fully, completely giving him all I got, just like a football player would do? The first step, one of the early on ideas is go after God with your whole heart, not half your heart, not, not three quarters, not 25% of your heart, your whole heart. Because when you seek him, you'll find him with your whole heart really important idea here that Jeremiah is telling them while they're in exile. Now in 70 years, you're going to be brought back. You or your children are going to be brought back and Jerusalem's going to be reestablished. So be encouraged. But for right now, if you look for me with your whole heart, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and I will restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and I will bring you home again to your own land. God began to fill this fulfill this promise actually 70 years later. It's very interesting. Um, the book of Ezra tells the story of the beginning of the return of the exiles, of those who were exiled. It's really interesting. And we're going to look specifically at Ezra chapter 3 today. So, so get the picture in your mind. The Jewish people, the people of the, particularly in Jerusalem, they were taken out, they were sent to Babylon. They were discouraged. They had lost their connection. They had been in this incredible spiritual drift place. Jeremiah writes a letter and says, hey, you're going to come back. But for right now, seek God wholeheartedly. In 70 years, we're going to return you back. You're going to be brought back. And now Ezra 3, which we're going to look at this morning, is the beginning of the first wave of coming back. It's a picture of, of the people of God who had drifted so far and are so geographically relocated. God is now going to bring his people back because he's going to rebuild his people. And there's some really good applications for us today, thousands of years later, which we'll look at this morning. So let's look at Ezra chapter 3, the beginning of the return of the exiles. Now, the scholars believe that about 50,000 people were the first wave of exiles returning from Babylon to Jerusalem was approximately 50,000 people. So this is what happened as they began to return to Jerusalem. This is Ezra 3 chapter 1. Now, in early autumn, when the Israelites had settled in their towns, 
all the people assembled in Jerusalem with a unified purpose. So circle that unified purpose if you haven't done so. That's important. So the people came back to Jerusalem from being in exile. They settled in their towns, and they were going to come together with one purpose. There was something important. Then Jeshua, the son of Jehozadak, joined his fellow priests and Zerubbabel, the son of Shelatel, with his family in what did they do? What's the very first thing they do is their project? They rebuild the altar of the God of Israel. They wanted to sacrifice burnt offerings on it as instructed in the law of Moses, the man of God. After they move into their towns, they unify around one purpose. What was that purpose? What was it? I, I can't hear you. Yeah. And specifically, what was the project they were taking on? The altar. The very first thing they rebuild from being drifting away, from being removed, from being geographically relocated. Their very first move. And they come back together as the people of God was to but rebuild the altar. What does the altar symbolize? In those days and in those times, the altar was the place where the priest would bring the sacrifices, according to, as it says, according to the laws of Moses. And the, and the priest would bring the sacrifices, which, which, would, which would basically bridge the relationship back between the people and God. So the altar is a very significant place. And it's the first thing they begin to rebuild. Because when they were in drift, they knew they had to get back to the basics. we got to start at the altar. That's exactly what I had to do in Iowa. When I was, when I was in Iowa and I was laying there puking, <laughs> in between pukes, it dawned on me, you've got to get back to the altar, Eric. Now, today, we don't build altars and offer sacrifices. What we do today is we do what Romans 12:1 says. We offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. We are the sacrifice. Our life is a sacrifice. That is where we reconnect with God. We offer ourselves on the altar. And as soon as that, that, that dawned on me in Iowa after being sick and having such a long year and disappointments and frustrations, I had allowed myself to drift. It was like this awakening that said, Eric, you got to come back. You're drifting a little bit. I wasn't doing anything crazy, but it just, I lost some of that joy and that appetite for my, my, my passion for God. So to return from drift, we've got to learn to recognize are there signs of drift in our life? A really good reflection point for you is to think about, are there signs of drift for you? Are there places in your life where there's drift? You know, when you reflect on your own spiritual appetite, it's a really good tool. Now, we've got to be careful here because this is not about performing. Sometimes we can think in church that it's all about all the stuff I do makes God happy. That's really not the, that's not the case. God isn't looking to, to us to perform for him. He wants a connection with us. And there are some things we can do that improve that connection. And one of them is coming right back to the altar. It's setting aside the phone. It's setting aside the, uh, the distractions of life. And it's just sitting simply with him, maybe. And it's opening up a Bible, or it's praying, or it's listening to some worship. It's taking a walk. It's reconnecting with God with a what kind of heart? A whole heart. Seeking him, going back after him with a whole heart. Not a half heart, not a three-quarters heart, but a whole heart reconnecting him with him with a whole heart but the first place is where it's at the altar it's the romans 12 1 living sacrifice i present myself back to you god when we drift our first move is always to return to the altar 
That's going to be one of my invitations for you this morning. Man, it is not a shame thing. It's a regular, normal thing of life. If there's any places of drift in you, in your life, in your connection, a good way to look at it is your appetites. What is your quality time like with God? For me, I had to say, okay, Eric, going into 2018, no more cell phone at, during quiet time. No more cell I'm too distracted. Like, I'll get a text. You know, I'll look at a cat video. <laughs> I'll just look at some random news article. No more. I, I told myself, no more. For me, set your phone needs to stay out of the room. You need to just take, go back to the basics, just like the coach would do, right? Back to the fundamentals, just you and the Bible and a journal. For me, I use a journal, and I just sit there, and I just begin to reconnect with God, just opening myself up. Lord, meet with me. Meet with me. God, reconnect to my heart. Reorient my life with you. It's interesting to note in this verse, too, not only did they return to the altar, they also returned to the instructions of the law of Moses. Now, they hadn't been practicing the laws of Moses in exile as, as much as we know. So this was the beginning of also returning to the laws of Moses. Another thing to think about is returning to the scriptures. It was like they were not only were they returning to the altar, they were returning to the scriptures to inform their relationship with God. So a really good reflection point for us is how's your, how's your scripture time? Scriptures are a really significant part in the life of a Christ follower. If you're following Jesus, the scriptures inform that relationship. The scriptures in themselves aren't magical, but they inform us in the relationship. They help us discern error from truth. They play a very important role in our connection with God. And if we are in a season of subtle, slow drift, or big, major drift, the scriptures play an important role. And we've got to minimize those distractions. But our first move when we return is to return to the altar. You don't have to build an altar and offer meat sacrifices on it. But you cut out a space in your life. Whether that's in the car, that's walking, these beautiful scenery. You have so much open land out here. Other than your snakes, it's great. I loved it out there. I just loved being in those big, that night sky. I was so inspired. It was so easy for me to not watch Netflix and to just be outside looking at those stars and saying, God made this. You know, when we do in the worship song, I love some of the backgrounds of the one on the creation. Oh, that was so, it just reminded me of last night or Friday night when, when Christy and I were just looking at the stars. And I was just so moved, such a taste for the authentic and the real as opposed to all the stuff this world has, has to offer. There's something about connecting with God. So like a coach, I want to call all of us back to the fundamentals. And that first fundamental is if you recognize signs of drift, the first move is to return to that altar. Let's keep going in Ezra. Ezra chapter 3 in verse 3. You know, as they were rebuilding the altar, so you got to picture this. All these people, they were unified purpose. They're going to start worshiping God again. They're going to reconnect. Even though the people were afraid of the local residents, they rebuilt the altar as it, at its old site. Then they begin to sacrifice the burnt offerings on the altar to the Lord each morning and evening. It's interesting that the author would identify, even though the people were afraid of the local residents, there was some sort of fear going on here. You know, fear can promote drift. Sometimes we have to do things even though we're scared. If we allow fear to drive, we will probably never move forward with God. Uh, some, that fear can look different ways. In my life, it's looked lots of different ways. You know, sometimes I really worry about what people think. You know, for example, 
Once I made a decision at the end of 2017 that, Eric, you're going to just, you need to re-up your quality time with God. You've got to just, you know, no phones. And like when you're traveling, when I'm traveling, uh, if I'm going somewhere, I need to say, you know what, guys, I'm going to take a few minutes. I need to go just do some, some of my own time with God. And sometimes if you're around people who don't follow Jesus, they think that's weird. <laughs> like I'm like, hey, time out. I just need, a, I need about an hour. I'm going to go do a little God time by myself, you know, and people don't get that, and, and that's fine. But if I'm so worried about what people think more than what God's, my connection with God, it just promotes drift. Fear can be a major obstacle. Sometimes fear can be an obstacle from returning from drift because we're scared that God's mad at us. Maybe, maybe, you're, you're, maybe you've done some things that you feel like you're bad about or you're feeling bad about or you feel like maybe God's mad at me. The beauty is God can handle that. <laughs> he can handle all that. It brings so much pleasure, that honest connection with him. You know, if, 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 you, if, if your life's in a place, like I had to be really honest with myself at the end of 2017, we've kind of let some things slip. Like a coach, I felt called back to the fundamentals, and I could not allow fear to be a barrier. You know, it can be inconvenient, too. For me, it can be inconvenient in the mornings when I don't want to go down. I don't feel, I'm a little tired. I want to sleep in a little longer. You know, that's just for me. I have to do early morning stuff with God. But... But I had to go override the convenience factor. And I decided, you know what, I'm going down, I'm going to sit out on my deck. We, we live in a, a really nice, beautiful setting. I could just sit out there with God and no distraction, other than my dog yapping at me. I don't know what we're going to do about that. But, but I, I think I had to overcome some of the inconvenience that it takes to re-up with God. But another good reflection point is to consider, are there fears in our life that are, present, are preventing us? from coming back from any places of drift in our life and sometimes we just got to do things afraid let's keep going verse 4 they celebrated the festival of shelters as prescribed as prescribed in the law sacrificing the number of burnt offerings specified for each day of the festival they've also offered the regular burnt offerings and the offerings required for the new moon celebrations and the annual festivals as prescribed by the lord the people also gave voluntary offerings to the lord the people of God were picking up where they had left off years and years and years ago. The good news is with God, it's very possible to pick up where you left off with him. For me, I left off with him in some very subtle, simple ways somewhere in 2017. Through all the life stuff, all the life junk, I began to drift. But what's so cool, there was no condemnation, there was no guilt, there was no shame. I could pick right back up where I had left off from the last time I had really been connecting with him. And I would invite you to the same truth. You can pick up exactly where you left off with God. There's no guilt or no shame. And that is exactly what we see in God's people. They were picking up where they had left off. Let's read verse 6. Fifteen days before the festival of shelters began, the priests had begun to sacrifice burnt offerings to the Lord. This was before they had started to lay, the, we underline or circle this one. This is before they started to lay the foundation of the Lord's temple. After they built the altar, the next project was the foundation. Foundation had to be in place. You know, there's something, and some of you who know construction, and you can understand the significance of a foundation. A good foundation really, really matters. That's very, very true in our relationship with God. They were rebuilding the temple and it began after they didn't start with the foundation, they started with the altar. That was the, the, the place where you're reconnecting with God. Then they began to relay the foundation because they were gonna build, rebuild this temple. 
that foundation is critical. You know, some people um, in life were not given a very good foundation. Some people in life, uh, for whatever reason, families and life stuff, uh, they were just, they just launched out of life on a very weak foundation. Um, and that can be very, very difficult. God wants to be that foundation in a person's life. You know, uh, this, this solid uh, table here is a solid foundation from which someone could launch, right? Or, or which, which I can feel. This is what God wants to provide for us, a foundation which we can launch out into life. But if we allow drift into our life, we cannot have that foundation to the degree that we need it. So, so the foundation is one of the second moves that God does in our life. When we return to the altar, we reconnect with him. He wants to rebuild that foundation beneath our feet. There's a verse in Proverbs. It's somewhere in the Proverbs 20. I don't remember the exact location of it off the top of my head. But it says, commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. What that, what that verse actually means is, uh, in some of the Hebrew, uh, in, in the idea of the plans being established, it means the ground on which you stand will be very solid. When you commit what you do unto God, the work you do, the, the relationships you have, all the life you live, the Romans 12 living sacrifice, when you commit your life to God, the ground you stand on is solid. For me, I did not have a really stable upbringing growing up. I didn't have a solid foundation. My, my parents divorced when I was young, and our life was just kind of a mess. I never felt a strong sense of security at home. There was so much tension in my home growing up. But as I connected with Jesus, he began to build a foundation for me from which to launch out into life. He became my security. He became my rock. In fact, if we allow God to, he will build our life on a solid foundation. But drift can pull us away from that foundation. As I laid there in Iowa at the end of 2017, there was, two, there was a verse out of Psalm 62. There were two verses, actually. So, Psalm 62, verses 1 and 2. These became my theme verses for 2018. I'd like to share those with you. Psalm 62, verses 1 and 2. I wait quietly before God, for my victory comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress. I will never be shaken really powerful words right there. Where is, my, where is my rock and my salvation? Where is it? Who is it in? It's in him. It's in, he wants to be the foundation, but I have to wait quietly before him. It's that fundamental, it's that return. So I told God going into 2018, Lord, I'm gonna up my game with you. I'm gonna get back on the field. I'm gonna get back into my quality times with you because where does my victory come from? Him. I'm not smart enough. I got a ton of responsibilities. I'm not capable enough to handle all the things on my plate. I really am not. I'm not that intelligent. <laughs> I need God. It's too big for me. And I get that. I really realize that now, finally, after I'm like 46, so it's taken a while to get there. <laughs> but I realize I'm not smart enough. I can't do this life without him. I need him. And I want to live my life in peace. I want to live my life in joy. I would encourage you to consider pondering those verses in your own life. You know, the other translations say, I find my rest in God alone. Depending on the translation you read of those verses in Psalm 62. God is my rest. He's where I get my energy. He's where I get my victory. He's the rock and the salvation. You know, it's a very scary world. There's a lot of anxiety in our world. If we let ourselves, we can be, we can be just on this anxious roller coaster of life. But God says, I will be your fortress, your refuge. Some translations use the word refuge. It's a place of safety. And you won't have to be shaken when stuff comes at you in life because you're on a solid foundation. 
I asked, uh, I asked your pastor if I could bring some rocks today. And so I did. I brought a bunch of little rocks. I want to give you a rock today. I really do. I didn't pick it from your deserts because of your snakes scare me. <laughs> so I bought them from Amazon. <laughs> it's pretty sad. You buy rocks on Amazon, right? You can just grab them out here in the desert. But I've, I've got several rocks spread out down here. And here's what I want to do. We're going to get back. We're going to head to a time of, uh, of, of wrapping this up in some prayer and some worship. Um, I want to invite you to reflect on this concept of drift. And this is a really, it's so important that you don't feel condemnation. It's not a guilt. It's not a shame. God doesn't work that way. Remember I said, you can pick up where you left off, where you were at your best season with God somewhere. Or maybe you're in a total life drift. Maybe you're here this morning and you just have no connection with God. Maybe this is your first move is actually beginning a connection with God. What I want to do is I want to invite you to come up, come up here to the table in just a moment. Uh, if you're able, and if you're not, maybe someone could grab, grab one for you. And I want to give you just a little space to reflect on the, on the places of drift in your life. You know, God's kind of like a dentist. That's probably not a great analogy because most people are scared of dentists. But, but he can find these pockets in our life, in our heart, where they need to be, things need to be rooted out. Like the pockets of walls or hardness. God does that. He, can, he, he has a way of kind of getting into the heart like a dentist would, finding these cavities and filling them with himself. So this rock this morning, I want to symbolize as the rock that God wants to be for your life. But it's very important as you reflect and you grab this rock that you think about, are there places of drift that are preventing this in my life? God is my rock. God is my salvation. So here's what I want to do, and the team's just going to lead us in worship. Just come on up. Come on up. You can, you can start coming now. Just come on up. You can stay up here and pray and reflect. I've got some questions on the screen. Are you experiencing signs of drift? Um, just take a few moments to reflect and let Jesus just touch on you. So come on. Don't be shy. I got plenty of rocks. If you'd only take one, I'd make sure there's enough for the next service. And I'm just going to pray for you while we're doing this. You're just going to go into a time of connecting with him. Just reflect. Father, I pray that as your people come and they grab a rock and the symbolism of the rock, the rock, the foundation, if there is drift in the life and the hearts of your people, that they would, they would come back. Like a coach calls back, a, a player back to the fundamentals, Lord. Calling all of us back to the fundamentals of connecting with you at the altar. Lord. Let your people pray. Let your people connect. In Jesus' name. This has been a message from Living Word Chapel. We hope that you've been blessed by it. Make sure you check out lwcoracle.org for more information.